SMS SAFM now on 41391. Late Night Conversations with Patricia Anduli, Monday to Thursday, 10 p.m. till midnight. A-teamers, I'd like to welcome our first guest, who's no stranger to the side of the A-team, Maki Jankies, who is an associate professor in information systems at the University of the Western Cape. Maki, thank you very much for joining us. Good evening, and thank you so much for having me. It seems that uh, as a South Africa, we have been really trying to ensure that uh, the inequalities in our education system are, are bridged by um, having a, a data-driven approach to our education systems. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm basing this on the fact that as early as 2003, there was a draft white paper on e-education. Could you take us through this and uh, what the developments have been from 2003 to today? Thank you so much once again for having me. Um, if we look at the policy context of technology as a whole within education, we see different policy frameworks um, within South Africa, in essence, pledging our commitment towards looking at technology, using it as an enabler that we can leverage um, considering the resource challenges, but also enabling young children to get digital skills from the technology that we use. But as we see, Globally, there's a move towards more data-informed intelligence systems within education. And I'll unpack what I mean when I say data-informed intelligence systems. We are seeing the rise of systems which now use um, technology such as artificial intelligence to start making smart decisions that can help with personalized learning experiences. Examples of this would be a child using a system um, where their test results are captured within the system, where all the learning material is captured within the system. Using data that comes from the child's experiences, the system is then able to personalize the learning experience of the learner to say, student so-and-so, we realize you haven't done well in your first test. Considering that you like learning through either voice notes or videos, Here's a particular video on a topic area that you didn't do very well in your test. And by the way, consider this timetable. Tomorrow you have a class at this block. Those are examples of intelligence systems which use data to be able to help with teaching and learning. We also see it on administration side of schools where information can be captured based on individual children's performances, attendance, challenges that they have in schools, And they're able to give national government an opportunity to make data-informed decisions on the performance of schools over the years. This helps with tailoring um, the sort of interventions that can be given um, for a particular school. So we are seeing the rise of these technologies um, beyond South Africa and coming into South Africa. And we felt uh, uh, that this project was actually a collaborative project which is a, a, a part of a series of artificial intelligence policy guides, um, which is curated by the Human and Social Science Research Council under the Policy Action Network. And in essence, we wanted to provide a guide that looks at um, the role that data will then be playing from a governance perspective and considering other benefits as, as well as risk 
um, within our education technology, considering the previous projects of technology implementation across the different facets of schools, which also have their own disparities and challenges. You know, Mikey, I'm very grateful that you have mentioned the fact that administration uh, is one of the key factors that will be affected with a a data-driven education system. I mean, let's look at what happened uh, last year for the class of 2020 when uh, their maths paper and science papers were leaked. And if this was uh, a data-driven way of uh, delivering uh, exam papers and also writing and submitting them, maybe we might eliminate some of these uh, fraudulent uh, activities that happen around metric exams. Indeed, I think the adoption from an administrative perspective, considering that from an administrative perspective, we have the resources to actually make it happen. Um, we see those possibilities on considering security around um, the transmission of those sort of um, tests or examinations from one province to another. And so we do see those benefits that come um, with such the data-driven system. However, you can have unintended consequences um, with such systems, um, and that's why governance and regulation um, on policies that guide these in education-specific contexts are very important. Now, I'll give you an example of this. Um, they, there was an organization which introduced a data-driven or data-informed um, recruitment system. And what the recruitment system did was that it ended up marking down um, women who are often uh, black, and so it was using um, race and gender. So there you could realize that there was a bias with the particular algorithm. There were also challenges with the data set that that data-driven system was actually using. And those are some of the unintended consequences. And so when we do consider such um, systems, obviously that the example I just gave now is where you use much more high-end artificial intelligence um, decision-making processes. But it highlights the importance of also having human beings kind of overlooking Um, the data and the information that is coming out of that system. But indeed, there are many benefits of such data-driven systems. For example, in large classrooms, monitoring each and every child's performance is very critical. And we've seen how there's a colleague of mine who developed a, a system for a large class that he was teaching where children had to always tap um, the student card as they got into class. And if uh, within a specific time a child misses class, an automated email is sent to a child to say, you haven't been to class for a certain number of days. Can you um, share what challenges you could be facing? And later on, looking at the results of the particular learner, the class attendance, and the general needs of that particular learner, a tailored, personalized intervention can be given to this particular child. And in the longer term, it becomes easier to realize whether there's a regression of performance or whether there is uh, an ascending of performance within a particular school educational context. A-teamers, uh, the time is 20 minutes after 10. We are speaking to Associate Professor in Information Systems uh, at the University of the Western Cape, Maggie Jankies, who's taking us through the, 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 the developments in the education system, especially around data-driven education. I'd love to hear from you, if you're a student or an educator, how you feel about uh, the new dawn of the way things are going to be working or the way things should be working so that we are all accomplished 
accommodated within this uh, fourth industrial revolution. The number to join us in on is 011-714-2006. You can send SMSs to 41391. They are charged at 1 Rand 50. WhatsApps go to 0614-104-107. And we are on DSTV Channel 814. Tweet at SFM Radio and at Patricia N. Dooley. Well, we are talking educational conversations with Mikey Yankees, Associate Professor in Information Systems at the University of the Western Cape. And we are looking at a data-driven education systems. Is South Africa prepared for this? Um, I had um, Mustafa on the line. We'll try and get hold of him again so that he can weigh in on the conversation. But you can do so as well via WhatsApp, which is uh, 0614-104-107. Mikey, you know, with uh, this particular data-driven education systems that you mention, especially the one that you say it's for bigger classes, you can tap in a card and to assess the students' um, activity when they come into class and find out how they can have a tailor-made um, experience while they're studying. Would these be conducive for schools that are in quintile one and two, even three quint, uh, quintile threes, because we know in South Africa that our schools have been divided according to their quintiles and quintile five being the more affluent schools while quintile one is the poorer schools in communities where they are struggling even with just infrastructure. So do you think that our education department is geared to to set us to that pace where we have data-driven education? I think that's a very important um, issue that you highlight. And one, um, one important consideration we need to make is that technology does not solve socioeconomic challenges. Technology can also exacerbate those challenges of inequality. And we saw that during the lockdown where across the quintiles, the effects of moving online or using blended learning were not the same. So in higher quintiles, the quintile five schools and and, and private schools, we saw uh, a seamless um, online learning happening. Obviously, there were challenges here and there, but we saw the majority of young children being unable to access any basic form of technology where we had then a reliance or um, from the Department of Basic Education repurposing of television and radio as probably the best means to be able to get to learners. So I think when we have the conversation about the potential of technology within schools, we should never overlook the importance of the basic human rights in a school. It does, however, um, motivate us to look at the new infrastructure that is built to say that every school will have toilets, every school will have certain laboratories, computer laboratories, and this is how they can actually be used. And so we need to always separate the conversation of our socioeconomic challenges that we have and the inequalities that we have that can enable young children to be able to get online. Equally, it's very important that we have these conversations because the introduction of such technologies in your lower quintiles then means that we need to have conversations with, for example, telecommunication providers to say that these children need to get zero-rated websites. It shouldn't be that internet costs hinder young children across the country from accessing education, whether it be on a mobile phone or on a laptop. 
And according to the statistics essay, household um, survey results of 2020, and we see this on a regular basis, that young South Africans are more likely to have access to a mobile phone compared to a laptop. But the reality is that these mobile phones are shared within a household, and the reality is that data costs are quite expensive. And so if you introduce any form of technology, whether it be a computer lab in a quintile one school, you cannot expect a young child to go and do an assessment assignment at home that requires them to use a laptop. And so in any technology that we talk about, one size fits all approach cannot work. However, we are seeing that there are huge disparities as to the advanced technologies that are used across the board. So some of these advanced technologies that we mentioned are starting to be used in your more higher affluent and private schooling education, um, and as opposed to the, 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 the lower quintiles, which we see much more um, cheaper and affordable technology interventions there being geared towards that. So we see somewhat of a two-streamed parallel type of technology adoption um, in relation to the needs of those communities and societies. But I think from an administrative perspective, where the technology of administration sits with the Department of Basic Education, it does provide an opportunity to be able to see how performance of schools can actually be improved um, with just basic capturing of such information and being able to take decisions with um, the information that is coming out from the schools. Now, you know, the other issue would be the older uh, teachers. Um, How do they then, I mean, when I'm saying older, I'm talking about in age generally. How do they then uh, get enough or sufficient training to ensure that whatever was drafted in 2003 in the white paper on e-education, once it's implemented across South Africa, that they are well trained and able to to assist, whether it's administratively or even with the, the data day-to-day learning for students. How do we ensure that the older educators are on board? I think we we need to consider the key role that teachers play um, within education and the use of technology within a classroom. Technology is a resource that teachers can pull out and use within their context. Many teachers who are in service are what we term as digital immigrants meaning not born into an era of technology and therefore had had to learn it um, within their working practices. We have seen um, from the, the, the government and also private sector, non-profit organizations supporting different schools um, in terms of teacher training. However, we're not seeing enough of that. Many of our studies have reflected the lack of teacher confidence to be able to have a sustained use of technology within the classroom. We also realized within our studies the need for a consistent technical support that can build the confidence of teachers and a school to can effectively use technology within the classroom. But I think one thing we should separate is that it's very important to ensure that teachers can build the confidence of integrating this technology. Teachers understand which technology can be suitable for which perspective in their classroom, as technology is not necessarily meant to replace the teacher in the classroom. 
but it is an enabler that the teacher can reach into as one of the resources that are there. Because if you go onto the internet, for example, there are many open educational resources that teachers across the world continue to contribute to, that young children can benefit from, that our teachers can benefit from, that our teachers can contribute to as well from a South African perspective on how we consider um, digital learning content that could be useful to our country and beyond. And so the role of teachers becomes quite critical. We have observed also within our studies, the younger teachers coming in who are considered digital natives. And they are often quite early adopters of this technology within schools. And they've been quite instrumental in supporting digital immigrant um, teachers in being able to have some form of technology within the classroom. For example, when we run teacher training sessions within communities, we often observe the younger digital native teachers who often go to higher learning institutions that have a lot of technology supporting their education and therefore they've been educated through a system where they've effectively used technology for their own learning experience. And so by the time they go to the field to teach, they have an inclination to understand how they can introduce this basic form of technology to help with something like a quiz and assessment inside their classrooms. So in schools in rural and remote areas where there are computer labs, we've seen where we run technology training, the key role of um, that support that digital immigrants and digital natives give to each other, but highlighted also the importance of a continued support and sustain and, and, and also to incentivize teachers um, on the key role they take of personal development in terms of technology in the classroom. Well, I must say one thing, Mikey, I'm definitely not uh, a digital uh, native. I'm possibly an immigrant because I get my 11-year-old teaching me how to utilize certain things on my cell phone. <laughs> so <laughs> I understand where those teachers are, are at. Let me go to Mustafa, who's on the line. Good evening, Mustafa. Yeah, good evening, uh, uh, of Patricia and your guests. Good evening. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, last time, uh, first time, I, I ran out of funds. I'm very sorry. That's why I managed to call again. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now I would like to pose a question to your to your to your guest, which is uh, um, Maggie. Yes. Now, uh, as she's from the Stella Univers- University of Stellenbosch. Now, if I may pose a question to you, Mbeki, uh, uh, in your institution, do you enroll? Uh, throughout your conversation, I never mentioned, I never hear any students with special needs that were mentioned, because I'm one of the uh, persons who used to be in a tertiary institution uh, as, a, as a disability due to blindness. So I'm not sure if, you, if in your institution you do enroll uh, students with special needs. And then do you also, if you do, do you uh, consider the circumstances uh, that special uh, visual impairment students in terms of coping with the online learning, do you consider those complications? Because in my institution that I used to study from field college, we usually rely on the people, on the interns who are doing field training. If you are writing tests or if you are writing exams, uh, they will be arranged by my, my, my institution, and they will, they will write us for all the assessments, and we provide answers to them, and then they use a normal print, and then they write answers. 
Mustafa, thank you for your question. Let's allow uh, Professor Maggie to uh, respond to that. And, uh, you know, Professor, I, I really do... Uh, I, I really am glad that uh, Mustafa called in to talk about um, the, the plights that are faced by people uh, with disabilities because their plight in the education era is usually around accessibility, but also the sort of technology that they require to be able to study better. So where are we on this? And as he has asked as well, does your institution admit students with uh, any disabilities and is there support for them, even when it comes to uh, data-driven education systems? Thank you for that. Um, if I heard him correctly, I, I just want to rectify that I work for the University of the Western Cape, not the University of Stellenbosch. Yeah, yeah. But uh, at the University of the Western Cape, we have a special um, needs unit, which is dedicated for students um, with special needs. And every time a student with special needs registers, um, the special needs unit reaches out to us as academics to make provision for these students. And we have a responsibility to support the students, be it digital, online, and offline. If we are on campus, the special needs unit has a place where they can actually go and write assessments. We're also compelled to ensure that the content that we provide to them is able to support their special um, needs and requirement. And so the unit is also able to assist us in understanding the various needs of the students who face um, different um, needs um, within their learning uh, perspective. But I must admit that there is a lot of literature and technologies that are specially created uh, for people with um, special needs. Um, and, and, and I can quote a lot of studies that have been shown on the impact of such technologies in supporting teaching and learning. But indeed, higher learning institutions are quite cognizant of students with special needs. And I, for one, on, on several occasions have taught students with special needs. And we create separate assessments um, that consider their various needs. Excellent. Let me go to Olane. Olane, good evening. Good evening, Sister Patricia. How are you? Excellent. How are you? Um, good. I'm good. Good evening to the, to the professor there on Tuesday. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, what uh, Mustafa has raised is a critical point uh, because even myself, I do have a child uh, who is uh, differently able, so whom in future uh, I expect uh, to be treated equally as other, as other children. So if we're talking about the issue of digitalization, uh, I have a bad feeling about it uh, because uh, if we, if things were to go 100% digital, uh, it would mean that uh, he would never attend school. Uh, it will be more like a, a home-based kind of a learning. So meaningly, he will never conquer his years. Uh, remember, going to school, uh, there's a lot of things that one gets uh, introduced to. Uh, one gets uh, introduced to the issue of the of bullying you know, that uh, I, 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 comm- I, I second it or no, do I promote it? But uh, it just does contribute to one having that element of self defense. Um, what my staff I said, I remember when I used to be an undergrad in, in Devon University of Technology, I remember they were, we, we had uh, classmates who were, who were, who were deaf, if I may put it like that, I don't know whether it's. Uh, it's harsh, but uh, in the lack of a better word, uh, who were deaf, 
So what I uh, observed is that uh, un- the university had uh, employed uh, some sort of truncator. So when the lecturer is uh, conducting the referring process, the all right, Tolani, your line is really, really poor. Unfortunately, I'm going to have to drop it and allow Professor Mikey. So, as a result, I happened to learn a lot of sign language during that particular process. By the time my son was born uh, with a similar condition, I had at least absorbed or learned few, few, few words. By the time, uh, I actually had to go for an underco- uh, undergraduate course in sign language to better a relationship between my son, uh, I had already mastered some stuff. So basically what I would like to uh, to add on what Mustafa had said is what mechanism does a professor in his or in her institution have to ensure that they integrate all these uh, differently abled uh, students? Because one may not necessarily be deaf, uh, one may be blind, but also still wanting to be in that particular institution. So what is it that they really, really do have? Not a high-level kind of response, a detailed response. Thank you very much, Kolane. Um, I, 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 unfortunately, for a deep, detailed one, it's going to be a bit difficult because of time. But uh, let me uh, allow uh, Professor Mikey to just uh, give us a, a brief. Uh, thank you for that. I think one thing that I want to allay the fears is that I do not think that we will move um, to a purely online learning approach where all quintile schools are not expected to actually attend because of um, the disparities that we face um, contact lessons will remain such a key integral part of our um, education system and so the introduction of education should never be seen as a replacement of kids going to school to be able to learn but should be seen as a potential resource that we can pull in to support teaching and learning. Now, when it comes to students with special needs, they're different children. Um, the children have got different special needs, and therefore the interventions cannot be the same. Um, so they can be, uh, I don't specialize in, in, in special needs, but I, I can give an example of, of, of a colleague of mine who I completed a PhD with, um, who we had made certain changes to the desktop that they will be, that they were using, and she had a visual impairment. Um, but she was able to use that technology to be able to complete her uh, PhD in the particular university that we were based at also had a special needs unit that is dedicated towards the special needs of the students. And as I had um, outlined earlier, I think the University of the Western Cape is really committed um, to special uh, students with special needs. And that is why we have a dedicated unit that not only educates us, but also supports us to better make provision for students um, with special needs. And we've seen many students graduating through the system um, who have special needs and going on to further their studies uh, beyond just the undergraduate. Thank you very much for joining us, uh, Professor Mikey. And I, I wish we had more time because I wanted to find out more about uh, the collaboration guide that you have done. But unfortunately, due to time, we're going to have to go through that another day. Thank you for your time. Thank you so much.